Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. And uh, as we talk now, Team Canada is getting set for their Billie Jean Cup playoff tie against Serbia later this week, April 16th and 17th on the hard courts at the Sport Hall Ibar at Kraljevo, uh, Serbia, the team comprised this time of Leila Annie Fernandez, Rebecca Marino, Sharon Fishman, and Carol Jow. And joining us today to talk about the upcoming tie is Team Canada captain Heidi Altabak, who has been at the helm since January 2019. Heidi, I'm uh, wearing my red and white for you guys today for some good luck. Thanks so much <laughs> for, uh, for joining us once again here on Matchpoint Canada. Of course, thank you for having me. Yeah, we, we appreciate it. And maybe uh, just as we, we start off, maybe you can tell us just a bit about what the last year or so has, has looked like for you. I know we spoke to you back in February of last year, and that was ahead of a Fed Cup tie against Switzerland. And of course, so much yeah. has changed in the world since then. We're now getting set for a Billie Jean King Cup. Um, what right. changes did maybe you and the group have to make like what type of ad- adaptations did you have to make um you know kind of staying together as a team uh, during a during a pandemic yeah i mean uh, it was a crazy year for all of us and uh you know i'm sure it was a struggle for uh, for for everyone but i'm personally very happy to be you know back on the road with team canada and uh you know being back in this professional environment and um you know, being being with uh, with the team and uh, the staff, it just feels good to be uh, to be back uh, on tour and in that COVID uh, bubble that all the players are now very familiar with. Um, it definitely feels very, very, very different um, than you know uh, my last uh, experience, um, with, which was Fed Cup. Then, um, you know, this year there's a ton of restrictions. Um, you know, protocols, you know, we got tested the moment we arrived at the hotel, we uh, quarantined uh, at the hotel till we get our negative test results back. Um, You know, and then starting tomorrow, we'll be able to uh, get to the courts and start training. But um, it's definitely a transition. But I know that, you know, the girls are excited to be here and have the the team back together. Um, You know, Natalie, Clement, the the, the entire supporting staff is is happy to be here. And, um, yeah, we're uh, we're definitely looking uh, looking forward to it. As Ben mentioned, uh, it's been rebranded the Billie Jean Cup, which is a, a well-deserved name change, obviously honoring what Billie Jean King has has done for the sport of tennis. Uh, these are the first matches played under this this new name. For for listeners of ours who aren't familiar, maybe with the format, can you kind of explain how this particular tie against Serbia fits into the big picture, and uh, and then what would lie ahead after after this tie against the Serbs? Yeah, so this is definitely an uh, an important tie for us, and you know, playing under the name Billie Jean King is, is such an honor, and uh, you know, just to kind of be in her uh, presence and footsteps, and you know, everything that she's done for the game to play under her name is is honestly a, a big honor, and uh, we're grateful for everything she's done for the sports. Um, like I said, this is a, an important tie for us. You know, um, Serbia is is a is a tough team, and. Uh, you know, their number one players had a pretty good run lately. Um, so we know it's going to be tough, but, you know, we're, we're definitely up for the challenge and, you know, we're, we're, we're ready, we're prepared. And, uh, you know, Leila, Rebecca, Carol and, and Sharon, they're, uh, they're excited to be here. And I know that uh, they're eager to get back on the court and, and play for their country. 
What, what's at stake, sorry, what, what's at stake for Canada with this tie? What happens, you know, win or lose? What does it do for Canada moving forward then? Yes, yeah, so, uh, you know, this is a crucial tie for us because, um, you know, if, if, we, if we win, which is great, we uh, stay in a, you know, world, uh, world group and we, you know, stay in the qualifying for the finals. If we lose, we get bumped back, um, you know, which, uh, which won't be ideal. So um, I think for us, uh, like I said, it's, it's very, uh, it's an important tie and uh, um, it's, it's definitely uh, going to decide, uh, you know, our next uh, year, maybe year and a half for us. So um, definitely an important one for sure. Yeah. And, and just looking at the matchup and it's in itself, um, Serbia, you know, there are no major top names, but I, I think a lot of talent there. Krunic, I know, is a former top 40 player. Uh, Nina Stojanovic has been playing good tennis. So has uh, Olga Danilovic as well. Um, yep. How confident is your group this week, maybe despite missing a few key pieces? Of course, Bianca and, and Jeannie and, and Gabby Dabrowski not being there. Yeah, I mean, I'm super confident, honestly. Um, we have Layla Fernandez, who's been on fire. I mean, she just won her first WTA finals playing really well. Super tough competitor. Um, and then Rebecca's had an incredible start to the year, you know, playing, you know, back at the top level, qualifying for the Australian Open, winning a couple of rounds, beating top name players. So, you know, she's back at playing her best tennis, um, you know, and she's definitely, definitely very tough uh to beat indoor hard courts so we definitely have that advantage and uh you know sharon uh fitchman she just made quarters of the uh australian open doubles so she's been you know playing really really well um you know and, and carol as well she's had some matches under her belt she uh, finaled a challenger um earlier this year um you know obviously with um COVID and restrictions of travel, it's tough for players to play as much as they want because of the rules and having to quarantine and whatnot. But I'm happy uh, that the girls were able to play a ton of matches and get, you know, matches under their belt. And um, yeah, I mean, they, like you said, they have Nina and Olga and Alexandra, who are all great players, but, um, you know, we have incredible girls and I know that they're going to give it their all. And uh, I'm confident that, you know, we can come on top this week. Yeah, and we certainly have uh, so much depth these days uh, in Canadian tennis, which is obviously fantastic. I, I did want to follow up just on Layla Fernandez. As you mentioned, you know, she won her first uh, title of her WTA career winning in Monterey um, in February, which we follow closely. And I was recalling actually last year, I believe I, I asked you about Layla Fernandez ahead of Fed Cup. And then um, what she did there was amazing, beating Belinda Bencic. And she has yeah. such lofty goals for herself. Like, what have you made of her progression as a pro maybe even just within the last year plus since uh, watching her at fed cup last time to now where she is yeah i mean i think if you meet layla and and get to talk to her and know her as a person you know that she's you know shooting for the stars and she's done incredibly well in her very young career and i honestly think with her work ethic, dedication, talent, and, you know, I mean, she, she can be, in my opinion, a top five player um, if she stays on track and is also, you know, stays healthy and focused. And, you know, she's, she's a pleasure to be around. She's incredible on and off the court, um, you know, very easygoing, yet super focused at her, you know, back in, in the last time, she's 17. Um, mm -hmm. She already knows what she wants on the court, the drills that she likes to do. So, very, very mature. Um, and I honestly believe that she 
if she maintains her focus and you know her health she's gonna continue to to make some damage on the on the tour and she's a player that's very tough to beat and not a lot of girls like going up against her so um yeah i mean I'm, i'm rooting for her and i'm excited to be on the court again with her this week and you know she's continuing to improve every day and you know even she says she's got lots of room um for improvement so um she's definitely not done yet and uh you know i'm, I'm excited to follow her career as well and uh, see what happens in the next couple of years i love the pictures between the two of you heidi after her win over benchage last year i don't think i've seen two smiles that big ever before in my life <laughs> yeah that was uh that was an incredible moment uh and you know I think uh, she played one of her best matches and, you know, it was, uh, it was great to see her have that first breakthrough at Fed Cup and, you know, being able to sit with her on the chair and talk to her and, you know, go through the emotions. And um, that was very, very special moment, I think, for the both of us. So, um, you know, and then after that, she continued to play really well and uh, make her mark on tour. So that was, uh, I think, a, a pretty good turning point for her. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was, uh, that was a great match. And, um you know, that's when you, uh, you know, that that girl can can, you know, beat those top 10 players. And she uh, she gained a ton of confidence after that. Um, so I was very, very happy for her. I wanted to ask you about a couple of the, the regular names that aren't there for this tie. Um, first of all, Jeannie Bouchard and, and Gabby Dabrowski. Can you share with our listeners uh, their reasons for not being available for uh, for this tie this time around? Yep. So um, I'll start with Gabby. She uh, unfortunately has been playing this entire year through um, uh, plantar fasciitis that's uh, been bothering her a ton. And, um, you know, it's tough because these girls haven't played, you know, a ton of tennis in in a year. And then, you know, they're back on tour and their bodies are adapting and uh, adjusting to the load. So she's been struggling with a pretty a uh, bad version of a plantar fasciitis and um you know she is trying to play through it obviously this is an important year uh with the olympics and everything and um obviously it's tough because of covid times and i think the transition from clay to indoor hard back to clay was definitely not recommended by doctors and physios um So it was a tough decision for her because I knew she, you know, she wanted to play and, you know, she's been a major and key player for us uh, in the last couple of years. And, you know, she never really missed a tie. So, um, you know, I, uh, I appreciated her, you know, support and I honestly wish her the best. And I hope that she, um, you know, gets healthy and is able to play pain-free in the, in the near future. And um, as for um, Jeannie, she's obviously had a great start to the year. I know this is, again, an important year for her because of the Olympics coming up and, you know, she's really trying to focus on her um, on her singles ranking. And I know she's having a training block right now to get ready for the clay court season. Um, and, you know, she's disappointed she can't be here, but, you know, she's uh, she's always a, a great fighter and she's played incredible in her last couple of Fed Cup ties. Obviously, was unfortunate last year um, against Switzerland with her wrist injury that, you um, you know, sidelined her for over a month. But, um, you know, again, she's disappointed for not being here. But, um, you know, she has a lot to look forward to this year. And uh, hopefully in uh, our next tie, players are going to be, you know, prepared and healthy. And uh, hopefully COVID won't be a factor anymore. Yeah, and I'd love to ask just a follow-up question on Jeannie Bouchard because I, I know you and her are good friends and we've uh, yeah. certainly enjoyed watching this this remarkable resurgence from her not not just in uh, I think the past couple months but I think this is something dating back to uh, last summer we've really seen some 
great tennis from her. Um, can you maybe just talk about some of the hard work she's been putting in on the sidelines to, to get back to this level and uh, what you make of her success as she's getting uh, closer and closer to that top 100 again? Yeah, it's it's great to see. Uh, on. I mean, she's one of my closest friends and uh, obviously happy to see her on her way back. And uh, she did some, uh, you know, changes in her, um, you know, in her uh, just life in general she moved to uh to vegas um you know to train with um her new fitness coach uh, uh gil reyes who was uh you know he's, he's an incredible fitness coach worked with andre agassi is a you know main part of andre's success and you know she really believes in him and and, and trusts him and so she's built a you know a new um um a new team there and i think uh, it's been working out great for her she's been working at like super hard during um during covid and i know it had conversations with her where she's like i'm so ready to get back on tour it's a shame there's no <laughs> tournaments coming up because i've been working really hard i hope you know i could play soon so i can you know get back on tour and not just train forever um so she's really put in a lot of work and it definitely paid off and um you know she's played ended the year great last year and then obviously started really well by you know finaling in uh in mexico so you know she's on the right track and uh i'm definitely rooting for her and i i really think and believe that in no time you know she'll get gets back on court and uh her ranking gets back where it belongs yeah we certainly think so uh, as well just uh circling back to the tie for a moment um you know, these, these three players are missing, but uh, we, we still have such a strong lineup, I think, for Canada. Um, which players do you think you're going to be leaning on singles-wise? I mean, I assume Leila Fernandez. And um, what would the maybe specific plans be for, for the alignment on the double side for the team? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, nothing has been, uh, you know, decided yet, um, as we will not be announcing that anytime soon. But, okay. um, <laughs> you know... <laughs> We were hoping for the scoop here, Heidi. Yeah, that's Come on. fair. That's yeah. fair. <laughs> I wish I could tell you, but um, you know, I mean, obviously, Layla's our number one, and you can, um, you know, expect her to be on the court given that she's healthy and ready to go. Um, you know, and and I think um, I think most important for us that we prepare, um, you know, as as well as possible, and you know, get these girls ready to go. So when it you know time to play on Friday, they're. Uh, they're super ready and uh, you know, they're able to perform their best. And that's my job here is to, you know, kind of get those girls ready and put them in the right, you know, frame of mind. So when they go on court, they're, uh, you know, they're fired up and ready to go. Um, You know, hopefully there won't be any uh, injuries or any uh, surprises uh, coming up, but um, yeah, I mean, I I personally am super excited and can't wait to, uh, you know, be with the girls on court and, you know, experience all the emotions, the ups and downs. And, uh, you know, the, I don't think there's going to be a crowd this side, actually. So it's going to be a different experience. But I know our, our squad's going to be uh, cheering loud. So uh, I look forward to that. We thought with the jet lag, we might get you to slip up and reveal all your plans there, Heidi. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Nice try. I was, I'm glad we're, uh, we're having this conversation because I was going to go straight to bed. <laughs> <laughs> as I'm uh, very very jet lagged still it's, uh, uh, it's been a while since uh, since you're I've been on your, you're on your A game um, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to say you've uh, occupied the role now of, of Fed Cup team captain for a couple of years um, with the pandemic it probably feels like a decade now that you've been in the yeah. role but uh, can you share with us how your time in that role has gone from your perspective what you've enjoyed and and what you've been challenged by as well since taking over the reins 
Yeah, I uh, I really think um, last year because of COVID and you know not being able to uh, to be at the ties and grand slams and be around those girls really uh, made me appreciate it even more and not take it for granted. Um, you know, I definitely been gaining a ton of experience uh, with each tie, and I feel more and more comfortable. And you know, I get to know the girls more and more. Um, you know, someone like Layla, who I've you know don't see very often, but then was able to be around her the last two ties. And, um, you know, I, I really, really enjoy being around these girls and, and uh, I'm very, very lucky, I think, to uh, be in the role that I'm in. Um, and like I said, I'm just, you know, excited and gonna do the best I can to uh, prepare these girls. But, you know, last year with the pandemic, I kept in touch with the girls, you know, do the occasional, you know, check up, see how they're doing and, you know, make sure that I keep in touch with them and. Uh, you know see what they're up to and unfortunately couldn't travel to any of the grand slams to support them but you know Layla Fernandez actually trains in Florida so I was able to go out and uh, you know catch up with her and her coach um, and you know uh, be around her and was able to watch um, you know Bianca play at uh, Miami Open again because uh, it was very close to uh, to where I was at home um, but it's, uh, you know, I, I continue to say that for me, it's it's always going to be a learning experience. And, uh, you know, every tie I keep, you know, keep learning uh, something new and lucky to have Natalie Tosiat with me as well. I mean, she's uh, she's an incredible uh, person and a coach and she's a veteran. She's, you know, been there, done that plenty of times. So uh, having her on the team is uh, is crucial. And um, um, yeah, so um Again, it's uh, it's it's been it's been great. Uh, I keep saying last year, you know, when we played Fed Cup last year, I forget that it was the pandemic, but it's actually two years ago. <laughs> so, um, uh, but yeah, I'm just super excited to uh, to be back here, and uh, ho hopefully, next one is uh, is going to be a home tie. That's that's uh, <laughs> that's the goal. Hopefully, uh, we would love that. Yeah, yeah, we would uh, we would love that as well. Well, um, we're we're certainly happy to have uh, you on our sidelines, Heidi, and looking forward to watching Canada compete against Serbia uh, later this week, April sixteenth and seventeenth. Uh, thanks so much for for joining us this week, and uh, good luck to the team oh. against Serbia. Thank you so much, and thank you uh, for having me. And there you have it, our coach of the Billie Jean King Cup. Canada team, Heidi Eltebach joining us. And uh, as we said, that tie against Serbia starting up April 16th and 17th. And I love how I feel quite strongly about this Canadian team, even though we are missing Bianca, Jeannie, and Gabby Dabrowski. I still like Canada's chances here. Yeah, I feel the same way. And I think the the big reason for that, and, and many would probably agree, is the fact that Leila Annie Fernandez has come so far since uh, Canada's last Fed Cup, now Billie Jean Cup tie. Uh, over a year ago, and uh, she's a, a full-fledged, important member of this squad. Uh, she won't be surprising anybody that she beats in this tie, uh, should she hopefully be getting some victories come her way. And in my opinion, and uh, tell me how you feel, but this is her squad for the first time. This is like Layla Annie Fernandez's team, and that's no disrespect to Rebecca Marino, uh, Sharon Fishman, or, or Carol Zhao, who's also there. But let's be honest, Layla is going to be counted on to deliver in this tie and uh, and it's her moment. I think she's going to relish this chance, too. Yeah, absolutely. She's definitely the anchor of the squad, which is maybe strange to say when you compare the age differences across this team that she's only 18 years old. But uh, I really think she is the number one threat. And I, I think she is the best player uh, that any of the two teams has, to be honest. Um, and, you know, of course, 
uh, not just what she's accomplished this year and what she's what she's done this year, winning that first career title in Monterey, Mexico. But, uh, you know, as as Heidi alluded to and we, we talked about in that interview, how she kind of burst on the scene last year in Fed Cup in February, that huge win over Belinda Bencic. And to me, that was one of her like signature victories where it was it was a sign like Layla has arrived and proved proven she belongs on the tour. She belongs competing and challenging these these top, top players. And we saw what it did for her confidence afterwards, making her first career final. Then we had the break and then she kind of knocked off more sort of building blocks um, right after later in the season. Yeah, and uh, not only was was that important for her, um, but if you go back even before that, 2019 versus the Czech Republic, and I was reading on the Billie Jean King um, tournament website, there's a feature article on Layla Annie there actually where they interview her, so I should encourage any of you to go and check it out. And she mentions how in 2019 against the Czechs, she felt kind of, you know, uh, overwhelmed with, with everything from team dinners to just uh, how everything was transpiring because she was so young at the time with her far more experienced teammates. And now she's had that, you know, first experience. She's had the, the tie against the Swiss, even though Canada didn't win. It felt like there was a small victory there for, for the Canadian team because of that big upset against Bencic. And now here she is into the top 100 on the WTA, so much more confident on the court and off the court. And I'm really excited to see what she can do. And let's also be honest, this is a tie that uh, Canada should win. And, and Canada needs to win because they haven't had an international victory on the female side in a while, going back to 2019 in their opening round against Netherlands. So uh, it's really time for Canada to step up. And, and even like you said, with some pieces missing, um, making the most of what they've got, which I still think should be enough against Team Serbia. Yeah, certainly international competition. We have such fantastic memories of what the Canadian men have done in Davis Cup, uh, dating back to 2019, where, of course, they made that stunning run to the final. And we've seen uh, them have success in ATP Cup. And now, uh, for me, I think it is uh, the women's turn. And I, I expect good results here against Serbia. I'm also, you know, the the second player I'm just so curious to watch again. Obviously, uh, her return was unbelievable in 2021 after a long hiatus. She goes and travels on her own and qualifies for the Australian Open. Not only that, she wins a match at the Australian Open. I think her first main draw win at a Grand Slam in, in about a decade is Rebecca Marino, and she is a key veteran presence to this roster. And uh, Layla, I know, has spoken in the past about uh, having so many me meaningful conversations with Rebecca and, uh, you know, kind of taking notes because she is such an experienced player. She's experienced the highs and the lows of the tour. And, uh, I, I'm really curious to see how she handles herself in this tie. And I think it's a great opportunity for her as well to, to challenge some of these top 100 players that Serbia has. Yeah. And Marino's now 223 in the WTA rankings and singles and, and surge because of her strong start this season. To me, she's more of a, a top 100 type player. And I think mm -hmm. she should get there if she's healthy and continues at, at this rate, but she gives Canada a strong number two, given who our opponents are. And in doubles as well, I think Rebecca could be called upon. I know Heidi wasn't going to give anything away, obviously, as nothing needs to be announced until Thursday. Um, but I, I believe that Marino and Sharon Fishman would be a, a logical pairing. And Sharon Fishman, just on the cusp of the top 50 in women's doubles, she's had some strong results, did well at the Aussie Open to start mm -hmm. the year. Uh, I, I think in doubles, should we get to the doubles? Because in, in Billie Jean Cup play, it's, it's at the end. You've got your two first singles matches next day, the reverse singles, then the doubles only if needed, which 
in one way is kind of too bad. I feel like the doubles might not happen or might not have any consequence, but on the flip side, if it's a two, two, uh, you know, tie, then uh, it, it gives us all the importance uh, that, uh, that you could put on it. Yeah. I, I, I'd agree with you there that I think Marino would definitely, definitely be looked at and maybe a key option in doubles just with that service threat. Her, her big first serve, I think, can really play up in doubles. Sharon Fishman, as you mentioned, quarterfinals at the front end of the year in Australia. Like, what an unbelievable comeback she's had. And we shouldn't forget Carol Zhao because uh, she had such a long, long layoff from the tour, um, battling injury, finally coming back and playing the ITF circuit and, and making a final at the, at the front end of the year, uh, playing these ITF events. So she's kind of getting her groove back. I, I feel like all these young players are playing well and, and starting to peak at the right time. Of course, you know, Layla is on maybe a different different sphere there and, and rising rapidly up the rankings, but uh, the other three as well, all playing good tennis ahead of that tie. And that's what we look forward to see. If you're interested in watching the broadcast, uh, Sportsnet will have the coverage. And as I said, April 16th and 17th, Canada will battle Serbia in the Billie Jean King Cup. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada. I'm Ben Lewis. He's Mike McIntyre. Remember, you can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. You can find us on Instagram as well, Matchpoint Canada. Uh, Mike, just jumping to some other news before we look back at a bit of the action this past week and look ahead as well. Um, some French Open news. I think we were, or at least some people, were slightly fearful that there was a risk of us losing this tournament um, given lockdowns in France. But the tournament is happening, but they've made a change in dates once again. They are moving back a week. So instead of starting May 23rd, we will start May 30th. And I guess the concern here is you know how quickly that grass court season just comes and goes right after the French. Does that suddenly change scheduling, cause new issues uh, for these players coming off the French Open? Yeah, well, it's going to suck for any players who want to take advantage of the grass court swing, who are more grass court players that that potentially don't have as much travel time now to get there. There's a bunch of grass court warm-up events that will be starting during what's now the second week of Roland Garros. So, you know, here goes the French Open again, kind of ticking people off. And I guess at least this time, they're only doing it by a week instead of four months. So they're learning, they're getting better. And, (laughs) you know, I'm not trying to make light of the situation over there in France, which is kind of mirroring what we're going through here in Canada, which is uh, entering a third lockdown now due to COVID-19. And so you got to take precautions to me, you know, what made me raise an eyebrow was the logic behind it, which is them saying they want to maximize how many fans can attend. Well, I don't know how by pushing it by a week, that's going to change how many fans you can put in there, especially if you're entering a third lockdown phase. I mean, for those listening in in, here in Canada who are familiar with what we're going through, um, imagine the national bank open was starting sometime soon. And, and Carl Hale said, Oh, we want to push it back by a week to just maximize how many people we could put in there as we're entering this third lockdown. It just wouldn't make any sense. So, um, kind of bizarre to be perfectly honest, uh, you know, just the logic behind it all. Um, and, uh, you do got to feel for some players who are having their, you know, travel plans disrupted and for tournaments that are getting the shaft, whether it's clay court tournaments that are, you know, leading up to Roland Garros where players maybe aren't going to go now because it won't coincide with how they want to peak for the French open, as well as clearly those, uh, you know, events like Stuttgart, Nottingham and, I'll let you pronounce the other grass court event there that always trips me up. But, but <laughs> yes, her, her Togenbosch uh, is you. the other one. <laughs> Thank you. I will never get that. People can make fun of how I pronounce Andrescu or their names sometimes, but I will never get that one, nor will I ever <laughs> attempt it. Uh, yep. But I can understand how those events might be, uh, you know, kind of cheesed as well. 
Yeah, look, last year, the issue and uh, we, we saw the French Open push back to, to the fall at the time and it was being called like a land grab, I remember, and totally sort of blew up the plans of Labor Cup, which technically is um, an additional tier event, an exhibition event where matches, I guess, do count. In well, don't, terms get of head-to-heads. don't get me started. Don't get me started on that one. But, but yes, continue. Well, but continue. yes, uh, you know. They were fortunate, at least the French Ten- Tennis Federation were fortunate that Labor Cup ended up being canceled anyway. So all the griping that they had from before with that issue to the French Open, just suddenly stealing two weeks later in the calendar, it happened to work out. Um, they're, they're doing it again. And, and to me, this is kind of pretty par for the course for the French Tenor- Tennis Federation and how they act in these matters. doesn't seem to be like wide-range consulting with uh, the other federations, with the tours. Uh, how can we manage this? Are we making any other adjustments? They just sort of flat out say like, oh, look, we're doing this. It's our French Open. It's our Grand Slam. We have to make the change and, and we're doing it. Take it or leave it type yeah, I of think, thing. I think, you know, and I, I can understand their, their desire, their strong desire to, um, you know, make sure that it, it survives and that it has a yes. place in the calendar year. Uh, as I think all three other Grand Slams also, you know, should should have that uh, that right to do. Um, this time, I believe they did talk to uh, the Grand Slam board, which don't ask me okay. what they actually do. But, but there's a Grand Slam board, and, and apparently there was consultation before making this decision. But that doesn't mean there was consultation with all the other affected tournaments, of course. But uh, a kind of weird feeling, just to sort of segue a bit, but uh, that the French Open is so is coming up so soon given that we only had it how many months ago, you know, it's much more recent yep. than it, you know, clearly less than, than 12 months ago. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's an unusual feeling. I, I think maybe a similar feeling to, for anybody who was watching the masters this past weekend, um, the masters wrapping up on the golf side in April uh, after being played, I think in November. So it is a strange, unusual feeling. You felt like you just had that. We're not going to have that with the U S open, which will feel like it's normal calendar. And then we'll have a completely different opposite feeling with Wimbledon. Just like, Oh gosh, how we have missed you. Uh, It's been so long uh, with the the return of Wimbledon. So um, I'm glad we're, for the most part, back on schedule in terms of our Grand Slam events. Fingers crossed that everything goes okay. And uh, you hope they don't push the kind of boundaries in terms of fan capacity and how many they're allowing. Um, you know, we're, we're not past this pandemic yet. Obviously, we're seeing live sporting events with fans back in the stands. That's great. Uh, we like the atmosphere. We hope that continues. Um, but, of course, do it safely. Uh Let's just shift over to the women's side because we did have a WTA 500 in Charleston, the Volvo car open unusual grouping of semifinalists for a 500. I must say, uh, owns Jabur, great, great Tunisian player, Donka Kavinic, Paula Bedosa and Veronica Kudermatova. And it was uh, Kudermatova capturing her maiden uh, title on the WTA side. She beat Donka Kavinic. Uh, Kudermatova did not drop a set the entire week. And she also now has 130 aces. That actually leads the WTA tour. So it, I, I know this is not really a player on many people's radar, but she was inside top 40. I believe this win breaks her maybe on the cusp or even inside the top 30. I have to clarify that. But uh, an interesting collection of players. I think we thought at the start of the tournament, maybe it's, you know, Barty, Muguruza, Kvitova, and those players all go down, particularly Barty losing in the quarterfinals. Muguruza went down with an injury. So, you know, we're used to seeing new faces emerge on the WTA side uh, every given week, and we have a brand new winner again. 
And uh, it kind of makes Leilani Fernandez fans feel better, perhaps, that she fell to the eventual champion in the uh, second round. And that was in three sets. Uh, so Leila Annie pushing the eventual champ there. Uh, I, I got to point out that the tournament uh, Twitter uh, feed did sort of throw a little shade, uh, you know, uh, unsuspectingly or, or, you know, not on purpose, I don't think, at the eventual winner saying uh, relative unknown hoist the, uh, the, the, the trophy. <laughs> and it's, uh, haven't we learned anything from, from Karatsev, you know, recently yeah. on the side, which I got to be you know, honest, I was guilty of. You were a little bit guilty of too, not, not knowing as much about him. Right. Uh, and in this case as well, I mean, it just goes to show doing your homework is super important, no matter what kind of, you know, uh, role in tennis you have, uh, tennis media that is. But, uh, you know, yeah, for the tournament uh, own Twitter feed to kind of mention that. And it, it wasn't meant as a slight, but that's certainly mm-hmm. how it kind of comes across when you're dealing with a player who is in the, the top 50 of the rankings. So, uh, you know, we got to know the players a little bit better. Tournaments should definitely know the players that they're promoting and their eventual winners. Um, uh, one player, just to shift for a moment here, that I was really happy to see had some success in making the quarterfinals, who's had a really tough go the last year, is uh, Sloan Stevens. Uh, who had a solid run and, and beat, of, of, amongst other players, Madison Keys along the way in a, a rematch of their, uh, you know, that U.S. Open final that was uh, you know, a few years ago now. Sloan's only 28 years old. I th- still think she's got something to prove. I, I still think that uh, people shouldn't count her out. And it was great to see her have uh, a little bit of success this past week on the, the clay of Charleston. Yeah, look, uh, talent-wise, I think Sloane Stevens, when we've seen her at her peak, at her best, of course, dating back to that U.S. Open in uh, 2017, uh, to me, she's one of the best players in the world. And we just, we've seen like the rare glimpses of it since that U.S. Open in 2017, but we've seen a lot of pitfalls, a lot of losses building up. I, I think um, maybe COVID affected her a little more in terms of a player who was trying to get back into timing and rhythm and find her game a little bit and maybe COVID even disrupted that a bit more you look at the number of losses she suffered last season I think she went like four and 13 or something uh so this is a positive step in in the right direction for her playing playing a solid tournament on clay I think I don't I don't think we view clay as her top surface so for her to make the quarters here she lost to the eventual winner uh as we said Kuder Matova so definitely a positive step forward I'd love to see her get back uh in the upper echelons of the game certainly um very quickly on the ATP side Pablo Carreno Busta won his fifth career title uh capturing the Andalusia Open uh just a point of note there Carlos Alcaraz just another player to watch 17 years old he made the semifinals uh he beat Casper Ruud which is a massive win uh Feliciano Lopez as well and he's rising uh further and further up the rankings closing in on that top 100 and uh only 17 years old I feel like he is going to be kind of our next Yannick Sinner that we're talking about in a year or two. We're right? already talking about the next Yannick Sinner, and he's just <laughs> on, just arrived on the scene. But uh, I know someone who makes Sinner look a little older. And my goodness, Feliciano Lopez must be three times this kid's age. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, that that's great succession planning. We can call it succession planning. And um, you know, speaking of Sinner, very excited for what is on the horizon potentially this week. If we go from the green clay of Charleston to real clay, as I like to call it, the red clay. Of, uh, of Monte Carlo and the Masters 1000 over there. We could get a Novak Djokovic, Yannick Sinner round two, which would be their first career meeting. And I think a lot of people would be tuning into that one. I don't think you could pencil in a worse, worse, more brutal draw for Novak Djokovic, really, especially playing your first match since winning the Australian Open, he didn't play any other tournaments. And normally, normally he absolutely would have a couple more hardcore tournaments 
on his schedule, not just Indian Wells in Miami. He normally likes to, to play sort of a, an entire circuit like Dubai as well. Um, schedules changed. Of course, he was nursing the abdominal injuries. So we kind of sensed he would take it easy, but now you're kind of thrust back in, on the scene facing Yannick Sinner, who was just in the finals in Miami. He plays amazing tennis on clay. We saw him make that run at the French open last year to the quarters. This is going to be a significant test. I think for Djokovic, um, to kind of see how he how he's measuring up to a player uh, so young, so talented, and I, you know, for Yannick, it's an opportunity to really go for broke, kind of throw everything he has at him. Yeah, if we get there, I mean, Djokovic does have the first round by, so he's already there waiting the winner. That's right. Between Sinner and Albert Ramos Vinolas, uh, pretty good clay court players. So he's it, good clay court. It, it's player. not a given, yep. but right. it's the one that we're all watching and, and hoping for. And then you know, it's an interesting draw. Djokovic has uh, Zverev. In that uh, top quarter as well, he's got Sissipas and Berrettini in his half. Um, Nadal on the other half of the draw, so I don't know how you feel about that, but uh, wouldn't mind seeing a Djokovic-Nadal final. And uh, <laughs> for Nadal, it's going to be interesting how his uh, preparation on the clay uh, transpires this year. And uh, let's not forget, he's on the cusp of making history, uh, big-time history, Rafa Nadal, that is as he could get number 21, Grand Slam number 21 at Roland Garros. I don't know why 21 seems to me like so much bigger than just 20. Um, and, and I don't know why it hasn't been talked about a whole lot, but I would imagine in the coming weeks that's going to ramp up. Um, but uh, look, if there's any one of those big three that you can count on for a major, this is the guy and this is the slam. Yeah, it's certainly, I, I would say, kind of our two locks in terms of slams really feel like the first two slams of the season on the men's side, right? It's it's French Open is, is Nadal and it's his house, and uh, Novak Djokovic has simply owned the Australian Open, save for a couple, you know, moments, and it, maybe it took him a little longer earlier in his career to finally win it, but uh, those are the two slams, and in particular, the dominance that Nadal has exhibited at the French Open. Um just the dominance in general on clay. Once we start these swing of tournaments, you're talking Monte Carlo, Rome, the Barcelona, Madrid. These are places where Nadal has won so, so many times. The fact that he's going for uh, title number 12 and Monte Carlo here kind of, kind of says it all. It's, it's unusual for me. This is feels like the first time in several years where we've had Nadal in this field as the third seed. That um, was strange to see as well. Yeah, it's certainly unusual. So Danil, Danil Medvedev is at the bottom of the draw with the number two seed and then he has Nadal in that bottom half um I think it's a pretty cushy draw for Rafa at this point maybe he gets Andre Rublev potentially in the quarterfinal and I think Rublev uh has some strides to make in terms of playing on clay he's a hardcore beast as we know um I, I think he has a ways to go in terms of his clay court game and Medvedev as well has a, a ways to go in terms of learning and developing on the surface. So we have a few of these like great top 10, even top five players who need to take another step on clay. And it probably makes it that much harder that you have to make a step and then deal with playing Rafael, Rafael Nadal. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, you know, for those inquiring about how Canada fits into this draw, uh, there's no Milos. There's no chapeau, uh, but there is Felix Auger Aliassime, and I think we'll end off today speaking about him because uh, he was making news for uh, not on-court results, but for who he's going to be collaborating with on-court and joining his team. Uh, and we just spoke about one Nadal, so now we can talk about another, and that's Uncle Tony, who is jumping on board uh, for Team Felix to uh, give some guidance throughout the clay court season. 
And uh, look, here's a kid who has already accomplished so much, made seven ATP finals, looking for that first win. He's good on hard courts. He's good on clay courts. Why not turn to someone like Tony Nadal to give you some extra insight? Um, what, what do you think about this pairing? Because I see no wrong that could come from it. Yeah, look, when, when I heard this news to me, I, I said this is the biggest coaching hire to me in Canadian tennis history. And a couple of people kind of pointed out to me on Twitter, well, Milos hired John McEnroe. And that uh, was kind of, a, first of all, that was a consulting role. And yeah. then if we're talking about coaching pedigree, Tony Nadal, I mean, before Moya came on to Rafa's team, uh, together they won 14 Grand Slams. Um, and I would count the other six. Yeah, still I don't Tony even consider, being part of it. I don't even consider McEnroe a tennis coach. Uh, you know, he's right. been in the broadcast booth for, booth for so long. And and that little union with Milos did not last long anyways. So uh, no. I, I fully support your comment on that one. <laughs> I think as well, uh, Jimmy Connors was brought up. He may have had a brief stint with Jeannie Bouchard. But again, uh, just talking about overall coaching pedigree and, and the biggest coaches in our sport, uh, Tony Nadal stands out as one of the biggest of all time. Uh, and it's such a significant hire that you look at it this way. You know, the two of them got together and chatted, but ultimately it it was sort of Tony Nadal deciding, yes, I will work with you. It wasn't sort of Felix choosing him. Tony kind of chose Felix in a way that was that was part of the partnership, um, because I, I don't think there were specific plans for Tony Nadal to ever coach another player. Obviously, he sees something very special in Felix Ojeda-Aliassime, and I think that's something we should be very, very excited about. And getting him right as the clay court season begins uh, feels, I don't know, it feels perfect. And I, I like the point that Tony made that if Felix is playing Rafa, out of respect to both, he won't sit in either box. <laughs> and let's also uh, just note that uh, there, there's another aspect of this too, which is this brings great publicity to Rafa Nadal's Tennis Academy. How yep. a young up-and-coming star like Felix Ojeda-Aliassime, who's practicing there, training there, uh, one of those young faces to sort of attach to. And uh, so they're getting a little promotional uh, you know, boost out of this as well, uh, as if having Rafa as the face of the academy isn't enough. But can't hurt to have Felix on board as well. Aside from his uh, you know, great promise on the tennis court, one of the classiest, um, mature for his age, ambassadors of the sport, the charity work that he does as well. I mean, this kid's got it put together and he could have a huge impact on the sport, not just here in Canada, but uh, worldwide as well. Yeah, and I, I'm sure Tony Nadal sees the, those character, characteristics and qualities and uh, talked about how hardworking he was as well uh, in the interview ahead of that that partnership, which they announced. So uh, we'll see the first uh, of that pairing when he uh, squares off against Christian Guerin in the opening round in Monte Carlo, which is a difficult first round match, actually. So uh, looking forward to that one and looking forward to this Masters 1000 tournament. Uh, we thank everybody for listening to Matchpoint Canada and thank our guest Heidi L. Tabak as uh, we'll also be watching Team Canada at the Billie Jean King Cup. They'll battle Serbia April 16th and April 17th. You've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. We will talk to you next time.